Well, I'm Debbie. I'm one of the pastors here. And I was, um, Matt was pretty excited when I told him that, guess what, everyone? It is Good Shepherd Sunday. And I'm sure all of you are familiar with that, but we're actually in the Revised Common Lectionary. We jumped into that a few weeks ago. You know, we are actually still in the Easter season. From Resurrection Sunday to Pentecost, about 50 days, we are living in the season of practicing hope. And in the liturgical year, Anna, you might know this, John Keller might know this, this is always, this Sunday, is Good Shepherd Sunday. So the, the common lectionary that rotates like different Hebrew scriptures and Psalms and a gospel reading and letters every three years, but every year on this Sunday, the Psalm is Psalm 23, and the gospel is always from the book of John. And so that's where we're landing tonight. We're landing in a, a story about the good shepherd, the good shepherd who talks about, um, or not talks about, but leads us to the abundant life. And ironically, getting to talk about the abundant life just after a few days in Patty, Vegas. Yes, I just spent three days in Las Vegas. And I have to tell you, um, I was there one time before. It was a mistake. My daughter had a soccer tournament and we, in high school. And we thought this would be a fun family vacation. No, it wasn't. Don't let anyone tell you it's not family friendly. Um, but I actually very last minute jumped on a work trip that my husband had. Thought, oh, I can work on my sermon. They had a cool pool at the Venetian where we were staying. So that's what I ended up doing. But I thought it was a beautiful example of this idea that our culture has that we have of what abundance is. Because you go out at night, and I'm not kidding, go big or go home. Because everything is big. Everything is lights. Everything is water shows. People, people everywhere. You walk through the casinos. They're packed. Everyone's gambling. Everyone's drinking. Everyone's smoking. Everyone's cheering everybody on. It is abundant. But the interesting thing is when you get up in the morning, and I take a walk every morning, you have to walk through the casino on your way out to the strip. It wasn't energy anymore. There weren't all the people, but what there were were a few people. They were still playing the slot machines, drinking one hand, smoking the other. But honestly, they looked a little haggard, a little worn out. And as then as I got out to the strip, which the night before had been crowded and crazy with all the lights and all the action, was pretty empty. Except for on my four-mile loop, every morning, I'd pass a dozen or so homeless people just laying in the middle of the strip sleeping. Garbage littered. In the light of day, that abundant life didn't look so abundant anymore. And what we're talking about in our text today is a different kind of abundant life. It's not the kind that our culture and our world tells us it is. It's very different. We're in John 10 right now. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. 
Therefore, Jesus said again, very, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sheep and shepherds, gate and gatekeepers, thieves and bandits, voices and life abundant. Like, what does that all mean? Like, how does it apply to all of us? Because it sounds like Jesus is saying he's the shepherd who enters the gate, unlike the thieves who kind of hop over the fence. The sheep, he says, listens to his voice and follow, and they'll run from a stranger's voice. But then later in the text, Jesus tells us that he is the gate. So he is the shepherd who enters the gate, but he's also the gate the shepherd enters. And then he says that we can enter him as the gate, which will lead to this full, abundant life. I don't know about you, but that feels a little big and it feels a little confusing to me. It's a lot to unpack. But what's helpful is to look back to what the gospel writer himself said was that Jesus was using a figure of speech. And the figure of speech always points beyond the speech itself. And in this case, it points to life abundant. And I think a figure of speech asks all of us to see and to hear and to think a little differently. So what we know is, what I think we can be confident in, is the shepherd is Jesus. In John's account of the gospel, one verse later than the text we're in, Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. And then in Psalm 23 that I referred to earlier, the first verse in that psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And what we know about a shepherd is that they lead and they protect and they provide and they revive and they feed and they water and they pasture. Pretty good reasons to listen to that voice, that voice of the shepherd, the gatekeeper. But I think it begs the question of all of us. What is the voice that we're listening to? Because the voices that we listen to are the voices that form and shape us throughout our lives for our whole lifetime. And there's a lot of different voices in our world, aren't there? And I think the question we all need to ask ourselves is, what's the voice in our own head? The voice that's always vying for our attention. Because for better or worse, eventually we begin to speak with the voice that has formed us, that vo voice that has shaped our lives. And those voices come, right, from moms and dads and partners and bosses and comes from our fear, our anger, our wounds, our church, our politicians, our social media, our friends, our successes, our failures. These voices come from all different aspects of our life. Those voices can sometimes be like the voices of the thieves and the bandits, because what Jesus is talking about here are those voices that actually steal our lives, that deplete our abundance. Or is the voice you're listening to a voice of wisdom and love, the voice of beauty and generosity and hope and joy? Is it the voice of Jesus? The voice of the shepherd? 
which voice is the loudest in your head, in your life right now? What voices have you invested in? Because are those voices worthy of your trust? Are they worthy of your life? Or are they voices that have actually bankrupted you? Here's what I love about this text. To fully understand it, we actually have to look backwards. There's a lot of scholars that recently have come to believe that the text we're in now is part of a bigger unit that starts in John 9, verse 1. And it's the story about the man born blind. And here's how that story goes. Jesus and his disciples, um, they come upon this man and the disciples start arguing and asking questions like, hey, wow, this blind beggar, is he, is this his sin? Is it his parents' sin? And Jesus says, no, it's neither, but we got some work to do. And here in 9.5, Jesus speaks, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with the saliva and he put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and he washed and he came home seen. And his neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. And he put it in my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and to wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. The the gatekeeper opens the door and the sheep heard his voice. And that's exactly what happened to the blind man. He heard the voice and he listened and he followed and he went and he washed in that pool. So when we ask the question, why listen to the shepherd? I think we need to look at the, the man born blind. A man who was ill for 38 years, he sat on corners and he begged and he was ostracized. He was an outcast from his own community, his own family. And what's so interesting is this isn't theoretical. This isn't hypothetical for the blind man. This is no like, oh yeah, Jesus is my shepherd, like without, you know what? I'm not quite sure what that means, but yeah. Ask the blind man. He will tell you what it means that Jesus is the shepherd. You know, that pool of Siloam, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for all the eye-opening experiences that we all have throughout our lifetime. Those everyday moments. Because the pool of Siloam It's the people, it's the relationships, it's the insights, it's the events, it's the experiences that open our eyes. Haven't we all had those moments? They change the way that we see ourselves, that we see each other, that we see the world, that we see God. They change the way we see and they help us live in a new way. They help us live differently. Sometimes that pool... It opens our eyes to really beautiful things and it opens our eyes to really tragic things. Sometimes we leave that pool with joy and gratitude and sometimes we leave that pool in heartbreak and sorrow. And some days it feels like we're floating along in that pool, 
couldn't get any better. And some days we feel like we're drowning in that pool. And some days that pool of Siloam, it, it opens our eyes to something that we've dreamed for for a lifetime. We've waited years to see it. And there's other times, other days that it opens our eyes to something that's the last thing we ever wanted to see that we wish we could unsee, but we can't. I always thought it was kind of interesting that in this gospel story, that blind man that received his sight, we never really were told like what the difference was, what it, the difference it made in his life, how he ended up living out this new sight, what he does, how he responded to it. But maybe, maybe that's what's important. What he does with his new scene isn't the question we need to ask. It's what we do with our new scene. And the text earlier, it said that, you know, the word Siloam means sent. And maybe we go to that pool to have our eyes open and to be sent back into our lives, into the relationships we have, into the world, to see things in a new way so that we can make a difference, so that we live differently. Because maybe every scene, every eye-opening experience is always asking something of us. And what I do know is that every single one of us have had those experiences. If we listen, we get a chance to follow, and we get a chance to see, and we end up having life abundantly. And let's be clear about what that is, because it doesn't mean easy life. It doesn't mean that things are all good, but it sure means full and rich and deep. And that John 10 text that we started with, I think often we read that as a judgment, and I don't think it's a judgment at all. I think it's an invitation. It's an invitation to listen to the voice of the shepherd, the voice that leads to protection, provision, and life abundant. So where is your life abundant? And not the Vegas kind of abundant, because life abundant is not about quantity. It's not about wealth or success or approval or popularity or security or being number one or any of the things that I think we all fall into believing somewhere deep inside. And sometimes when we get those things, I don't know about you guys, but there's this feeling of emptiness that comes. I remember when Steve and I were first married and we had all sorts of crazy stories with bad cars. I mean, actually, when we first got married, we had a bike. We rode our bikes around town. Then we had a car that had a hockey puck for the stick shift and didn't have any floorboards. But boy, that day, some years in, when we got our first new car, we worked so hard for that. And we thought that Mazda was so amazing until we realized we should have got air conditioning because Steve drove around in a suit for sales all summer. But we got that new car. And we loved that new car. And it was so great for about three days. And then we made the car payments, felt a little empty. Realize that is not the abundant life. But the abundant life is a way of being. The abundant life 
is actually about quality, not quantity or stuff. It's about faith and hope and love and goodness and mercy. The abundant life actually adds to our life and adds to the lives of others. It refuses to add to the pain of the world. It's a life that leads to life, a love that leads to love, a kindness that leads to kindness, a generosity that leads, leads to generosity, a courage that leads to courage, a dignity that leads to dignity, a gratitude that leads to gratitude, a joy that leads to joy. That's the abundant light. It just keeps growing on itself. It is life and more life. And ultimately, I think the abundant life is touching and living the divine life. It is something beyond all of us. You know, I had to text the Jovanellis yesterday to say, hey, do you mind if I talk about you guys at my end of my sermon? Another sermon illustration. Thank you, Jovanellis. But it, it was the Holy Spirit inspired because less than a couple of weeks ago, I happened to be with Lynn for a couple hours and we were talking about life and we were talking about life beyond us. A lot of you know Lynn's story because she spoke to this community packed house on New Year's Day and a lot of us have been in her and Gino's home for women at the table and the Monday Bible study devotional time and um, they have jumped in and been a huge part they are a huge part of this family so a lot of you know the story that almost three years ago Lynn got diagnosed with ALS and a lot of us have had the holy privilege of being parts of that story the hard and holy privilege because we watched Lynn go from walking into church to being wheeled into church and we've seen her physical body deteriorate and as I sat with her and she'll say hey can you move my leg this way can you give me a little sip of my water and someone who was helping came in and lifted her up and turned her I looked at her and said, I don't know anybody who lives life more abundantly than you and your family. And I've had the privilege in doing what I do of being in a lot of situations with people, joys and hard stuff and death and dying and wonderful life moments. But Lynn and her family are living a life that touches the divine. And so that good shepherd that I know she continues to listen to the voice of, that good shepherd has led her and her family, has loved her and her family, has guided them into the most abundant life I can honestly say I've ever witnessed. And it's not about busyness. It is about people and relationships and love and truth and beauty, and joy. You know, that day I left, I said to Lynn, you know, what do you think's the hardest part and what's the best part? And she said, you know what? It is what it is. I'll tell you what the best part is. There isn't a day that I don't experience joy. There's not a day that I don't experience joy. We get to 
touch the divine through Lynn and through Gino and their family. We get to witness God's love and God's protection and God's provision and the abundant life. And I am so grateful for that. So what if each one of us here made the decision that that's the voice we're going to listen to as we move forward, that we're going to listen to the voice of the good shepherd? Because then we get to listen, and it's more than looking. We get to see, and then we get to experience being part of something bigger, something larger than all of us, something beyond ourselves. And maybe that doesn't feel as tangible, but I'll tell you, it sure is real. And in all this confusion and messiness and holiness and beauty and hardness of life and faith, I am going to land. I'm going to stick my, my stake in the sand of trusting a God that continues to show up in this community and one another. And that God shows up as the good shepherd, the one that is with us and the one that is for us. I'm going to end... Um, I have to end with Psalm 23 since they say it every year. But I want to say that um, in this very holy place that I get to stand sometimes, I've been with dozens of people as they've had a foot here and a foot in eternity. And Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that we sit in together because there's something so holy and beautiful and hopeful about this psalm. So I'll end with this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me along quiet waters. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, some of the most difficult times, I fear nothing for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. And this line always makes me cry when I'm holding someone's hand when they're about to go to heaven, and it's this, my cup overflows. My cup overflows, and surely your goodness your love, it'll follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The abundant life. That's why Jesus said he came, that we might have life and have it to the fullest. So I leave you with the question and myself, what does that mean? Where's your life abundant? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. Um, man, I had about 24,000 different thoughts going on while Debbie was speaking there about the abundant life. And especially as I'm sitting next to my four-year-old who's fast asleep in a pew at church right now, which is like not a care in the world. He knows his cup is overflowing. He's at peace. He's out. But I was thinking about last night, Lauren and I were in bed and we were watching this Netflix show, Love on the Spectrum, Many Watchers. Beautiful show. And there was one moment in particular where and I both looked over each other, like just tears streaming down. And it was after um, a 
a couple went out on a date for third date. I'll spare you all the details. Both differently abled people who are somewhere on the autistic spec spectrum. And uh, they come home and it's this Indian family. And the mom, it, the kid, the kids announced to the parents, Anna, you know what I'm talking about. They announced parents like, this is my girlfriend. This is my boyfriend. And the mom starts like weeping on the spot. And the dad, we haven't heard a peep out of yet. He all of a sudden in the corner starts like doing one of those dad shakes where it's like, I'm definitely falling apart right now, but I'm trying to conceal it the best I can. And so finally, like he gets on his feet and goes in for the hug. And it's all beautiful. What was amazing about it to me and what I think what really um, moved me to tears was immediately the cynics and those who have been worn down by life and those who have given up on their ability to perceive what is beautiful before them and how the cup overflows them. You start to think about like, okay, but what's next? And how's this gonna work? And what does it look like? Like all these different things. The mom goes, I'm celebrating this small thing and that's enough. I, I am overwhelmed by the joy of looking what is beautiful before me. And it's good. It's gorgeous. It is amazing to watch those moments. It's amazing to watch our kids. My kid turned four, 10 years old this weekend and, um, you know, birthdays aren't those moments where we love them more than we typically do, but there's a reminders of like how much we always love them again and again. You pause and recognize that the cup is overflowing, that we are in the midst of abundant life. If we would just pause to put away the rat race shoes that we put on every day and just say it's enough. God is good. Everything we need is already here. I'm going to celebrate the small pieces of beauty that are before me. I think in a lot of ways that's what Christ was doing the night before he died. He got together with his friends. And he said, this is it. Um, let's not just rush through the bread and the wine. Let's, let's pace ourselves. Let's pay attention to the sufficiency and what God's provided. Let's take note of what is actually here because my time is running out. All of our time is running out. All of our time is running out. We're only here for a little bit. Third time, all of our time is running out. Don't miss out on the good gifts that are before you right now. Christ lifts up a loaf of bread in the middle of the table. And he said, fellas, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this meal and participate in this time in the future, remember me. Remember the conversations we've had, the practices I laid down that I asked you to participate in the same way he lifted up the bottle of wine. He said, this is my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of the new covenant. Again, bread, wine, in this meal, when you drink from this cup, remember me. And so for 2,000 years now, we've been doing the exact same thing. Finding space in the busyness of our lives before our minds go immediately to Monday morning, all the deadlines and duties that are awaiting us, we pause and we participate in that meal and say, this matters. Everything I need is already here. And when I take from the bread and I drink from the cup, I remind myself that and reroute that myself in that reality. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you guys up. We'll have people with the bread and the wine or the juice, the wine. And you can come and dip the bread in said cup and uh, participate in the meal with us. Before we do, though, every week and we stand, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray together. And so will you join me? Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thou is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, thanks for being here on this Good Shepherd Sunday. Now, that was kind of fun, wasn't it? But I really do on a serious note, I was thinking as I was worshiping, my hope and prayer for this community is that we might have the courage to listen to the voice because it's countercultural. It's fighting a lot of other voices in our lives that we might have the courage to link arms and listen to the voice and just bring good news and be good news to a world that really needs it. So if we get the chance, let's jump into that pool. And let's trust that God has so much more, so much more for us that goes beyond us. That's a beautiful thing. So with that, please put your hands out for the benediction. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter who you love or what you've lost, no matter where you've been or the places that you've stayed, you always have a place at the table because you are a beloved child of God. And beloved, you belong. Go in peace, everyone. We'll see you next week.